Welcome to Storytelling with a Purpose, a Memory Fox production. Hi everyone, it's me, Carly Euler. March is coming to an end, and as you know, here at Memory Fox, our theme this month has been peer-to-peer fundraising. Our guest today is extremely unique because this is actually our first Memory Fox storyteller that we've brought on the pod. In case you don't know, we refer to anybody that uses Memory Fox as our Memory Fox storyteller community. And um, I'm really excited to get some real time examples and insights about peer-to-peer fundraising from someone who is, like I just said, doing it right now. So without further ado, here's our guest. Jennifer Bingham is the Director of Special Projects at Code of Support Foundation, a nonprofit that assists military and veteran families in crisis situations. In this position, she leads cross-cutting projects for both the advancement and the programs teams. Her specialty is in grant writing, grant management, social media, and fundraising campaigns. Originally from Georgia, Jennifer graduated from the University of Georgia, go dogs, and went on to secure a law degree from Wake Forest University. She's a dedicated military spouse. She's a former coworker of mine and now serves diligently as my mentor. She is a Memory Fox storyteller, the first customer who has come on the pod. And perhaps most importantly, she is the queen of trivia night. We are excited to talk to her today about peer-to-peer fundraising campaigns. Welcome to the podcast, Jen Bingham. Oh, thanks, Carly. I'm excited to be here. We are so excited to have you. As I said, you are a first Memory Fox storyteller who is coming on the pod. It's a big day. Um, And I'm super duper excited, again, because I have worked with you in the past, and I know that you're an expert on a lot of these things that we're going to chat about today. So all March long, we've been talking about peer-to-peer fundraising, because as you know, and as I know, that is such a game changer when it comes to fundraising, like Mm -hmm. having people share their own stories, especially with the mission that you serve. um, It's just really compelling. But before we get to that, um, can you please just share a little bit about your background and maybe like how has your path led you to Code of Support and just nonprofit storytelling? As you mentioned in the intro, it's been kind of a windy path. I'm like a jack of all trades. So starting back in undergrad where I studied history and art history, got a sense of writing, which then led me to law school with more writing. And then by the time I got out of law school, it was like kind of uh, like a forced situation in the fact that I thought I was going to be a lawyer. I was ready to be a lawyer. I didn't have any jobs, job offers coming out of law school. So I went to live with my then long-term boyfriend, now husband, who's in the military. And being a military spouse partner creates a lot of interesting barriers when it comes to employment. So I had to, again, set being a lawyer aside because I was not barred in the state that we were currently living in. And so it forced me to look outside of law uh, and take like customer service jobs, things like that. And then once we moved to Virginia, I could practice in DC without, you know, taking another bar exam, having five years of experience, because I was only like three years out of law school at the time. And I started to pursue that again, which it made me realize I wasn't prepared for something that was like going to be that hard on my mental health. So I came to cut of support through an old roommate of mine. There was a temporary position at the organization to help out with some project management, some data analysis. So 
I figured, sure, why not? I'm a military spouse. This organization is close to my heart. So why not? And it was when I did that, that I realized I, I had always kind of sought out opportunities to either be in nonprofits or give back to the community, going back to even when I was in college, uh, participating in a service sorority. So doing a lot of community projects back then, becoming a lawyer, going to law school, a community driven, you know, desire is what led me there. And so it's kind of always percolated throughout my life. And then being at Code of Support, I just realized that this is where I need to be. And storytelling, I think, comes from the fact of wanting to deliver the impact that your organization has to as broad an audience as possible, right? Because really what you're telling is, yes, it's a success story, but really what it is, is it's sharing your impact with the donors who made it possible, the potential donors who can change somebody's life. So really storytelling is integrated in, in all of that. I think also for veteran service organizations, it is a very unique story that you're telling because a lot of people you hear about, um, you know, the heroes that go to war, but we don't as often hear about the stories of afterwards. So do you have any thoughts on maybe the importance of that type of storytelling? Yeah, because I think it's changed a lot in like the past 10, 15 years or so, whereas maybe 10, 15 years ago, the story was these military members are coming back, coming out of service, and they're broken, quote unquote, which that's not the story for everyone. You know, everybody's story looks a little bit different. And as we've gotten some distance from that, we've been able to see, okay, yes, there are some challenges and difficulties with transitioning out of a military lifestyle. Like that's definite, but it doesn't look the same for everyone. And I think now that we've come to recognize that, um, there are so many different stories to tell about, you know, from someone who did have a particular time transitioning out, maybe does need some like mental health care, employment help, things like that to someone who is just, I don't even know where I want to live now because I've been told for the past four to however many years, this is where you're living. This is what you're doing. And now I have the complete freedom to choose that. And so guiding them along what that path looks like and they still need help, but their stories are very different. So it's an exciting time, I think, to be in a military organization, just because the avenues of storytelling are completely opening up. That is a really good point. You're right. Everybody needs sort of a different level of assistance. I mean, I'm not sure. I get weird about the word help. Like, uh, people do need help, of course, but, you know, help is kind of a, I don't know. So I I wouldn't say everybody needs a different level of help, but maybe they just need a different level of support. And that's, I mean, code of support. That's the name, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Let's uh, get a little deeper though. So how are we going to raise the money in order to support these people? Um, One major way Code of Support does that is through peer-to-peer fundraising. So let's talk about it. Um, How does Code of Support utilize peer-to-peer fundraising specifically to support the military and families that are in need? Yeah. So our biggest peer-to-peer fundraising campaign that we run would be our Archer's 100 Mile Challenge. It's had a few iterations over the past three years that we've done it, but essentially the way it works is challengers sign up to compete either as a team or an individual to complete 100 miles of activity within 30 days. And so that could be running, biking, swimming, but we've extended it out to include like maybe you want to knit like a 100 mile scarf or something. 
or that's interesting (laughs) or like any kind of physical activity, whether it's like folding your laundry, vacuuming, if you're tracking your steps, like all of those things to add up to a hundred miles at the end of a 30 day period. So in that 30 days, those, uh, competitors, their friends, they're all raising money for code of support by a peer to peer, uh, fundraising. So there's lots of, as you know, and I'm sure we'll dive into lots of different aspects of that, lots of different communications that need to go out. So, but that's the major way in terms of peer-to-peer fundraising that Code of Support utilizes. That is such a cool idea. I love that the miles can can morph into something different because of course, not everybody is equipped to just go run a hundred miles. And mm-hmm. um, it's nice to find, a, this is a fitness challenge. It's nice to find a fitness challenge that can kind of morph into something for everybody. So everybody just keep thinking about those creative ways that you can, um, can get more people involved with your peer to peer fundraising. That's a great tip. Um, do you have like maybe a success story from Archer's challenge or from maybe another campaign that you could share with us? Yeah. So I think the first Archer's challenge that you Carly actually, (laughs) full disclosure, (laughs) I was a part of the implementation of Archer's challenge. It was, you were. And like the, the biggest success story that we have in terms of archers was definitely that first year when, um, during COVID, it was kind of like a perfect storm where people were tired of being cooped up inside. They needed something for their mental health to just like escape what was going on and provide a break from everything. But then also I think COVID put at the top of everybody's mind, like the importance of also like physical activity and physical health too. Right. And the combination between your physical and your mental health, right? Yes. And then you add into that the community and engagement aspects of a peer-to-peer campaign like Archer's. And it really was that perfect storm of providing an outlet for people, allowing them to get physical, and then also raising money and promoting a good cause for a community good. It was just magic. Like we've been trying to capture that lightning in a bottle again. And I think we're we're getting closer and we're getting back to that. Although the landscape of virtual events is is changing as I, as we all know. But I think that was probably one of our biggest success stories because again, we did that all virtually. It was our first time doing it. So that was such a huge highlight. It ended up raising over, I think, $55,000 for the organization. And then previous to that, another success story that we've had with peer-to-peer fundraising is back when we did in-person events. So we would do in-person races. We held a peer-to-peer campaign for the Leadville 100, which is like an ultra marathon race. And that ended up raising upwards of like $60,000 for the organization, which was, it's massive for our tiny team. And that money can go such a long way to helping military families, enhancing our Patriot Link program. So those, those two fundraising campaigns alone were just spectacular. Yeah. Wow. The Leadville 100, if I'm remembering that correctly, is that like the race? Well, you, it's a hundred miles in 24 hours, right? Or I think so. Something like that in like the Colorado mountains. mountains. So that's, um, that's not for the week. <laughs> that's a no. really intense one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, wow. Yeah. Leadville. Okay. That's very cool. Um, Okay, so you've talked a little bit about how it can be hard to um, maybe recreate things year after year. 
Um, I guess, what are some other challenges that you see arise when you're running a peer-to-peer campaign? And do you have any tips for overcoming them? Yeah. So, ooh, challenges, I think it's straddling that fine line of making sure your donors, your participants in your peer-to-peer fundraising campaign have everything they need. You're communicating with them, providing reminders when needed, but not over communicating because especially nowadays we talk about like email fatigue and just general like disinterest after a while. And so you want to make sure that you balance (laughs) those needs and they are, it's, it is truly a fine line. Um, I think I would say that if you had to choose, you know, erring on the side of over communicating is much better, but that's a definitely a challenge that we've seen. And in particular, with our type of peer-to-peer fundraising, another challenge that we see is just ones that have like a longer period of time, like 30 days or however long. Um, <laughs> it's like people get burnt out, you know, like you're so excited to start. There's a lot of passion for it. And then somewhere around like the two to three week mark, you start to see like donations drop or in our case, even like mile accumulation drop. So trying to maintain like support, encouragement, uh, that's also something that I think can be a challenge with peer-to-peer. So the way that Coda Support tackles those two want, those two items, um, and we'll go with over-communicating first, is I definitely do my research to try to figure out, okay, what are the recommended number of touch points to have throughout a peer-to-peer fundraising campaign? So I recommend doing your research. I think like Classy has some really great articles about peer-to-peer oh, fundraising. Oh, yeah. Classy is a great resource. Yes. If you guys don't use Classy, just go there right now. They have everything you need. But they provide some really great information on like how to stand up a peer-to-peer, how often you should communicate, and even email templates and like a social media toolkit template that you can use, which takes a lot of the work out of the organization, particularly if you're a small organization such as Code of Support. So I think... Going with your gut is also another way to help with that because you got to put yourself in like the shoes of the people you're communicating with and how often would you like to hear from them? I know like at the beginning, I'm very motivated and then I tend to be a bit of a procrastinator. And who isn't these days? I mean, <laughs> I mean, we're being honest here. So, <laughs> but knowing that like I would probably need a few more pushes, reminders towards the end of the campaign period just so that way I'm encouraged. I'm reminded I have everything at my fingertips to, to do that. And then in terms of, you know, keeping motivation high, that is like much more of a fun kind of creative problem solve because you can create, you know, weekly or little mini goals, competitions amongst the team, like who's going to walk the most miles or raise the most amount of money in like the next 24 hours. And I love a competition. Right. Like people in a competition. Yes. <laughs> like there are layers to this. Um, but yeah, just like anything you can do to shout out and highlight somebody's progress because that's going to motivate them. It's going to make them feel good. But then it might also motivate others who are participating to be like, no, like I, I want to be the top dog. Um, I want to be the one that gets like the feature. So it creates like, it creates some interest within the campaign itself. Um, and then also, you know, utilizing fun social media tools. Like last year for Archers, we, I think in like the second or third week, asked our participants to like, what is your go-to workout or Archers playlist that's keeping you motivated? 
And it's a fun way way for them to like share. Oh, what yes. I remember you guys sharing those posts on your Instagram because yeah. I interacted with them and I was like, oh, that is so interesting. I would have never thought that person would jam out to that song. But now I know. Exactly. Exactly. You get like a little peek in their private life, which is fun. So things like that, I think, keep it interesting, keep people motivated um, and then hopefully keep the fundraising coming in. I love that. And I would just piggybacking off of that. One thing in terms of those little mini competitions that I think is super important is also keeping in mind that obviously not everybody can be your top fundraiser. So um, one thing I personally also like to shout out people for is most individual fundraisers or most new donors to the organization. So who is really bringing in those new donors and really raising that new awareness and also Mm -hmm. who is bringing in the most people because, hey, every dollar counts. and Sometimes I I just wouldn't want people to feel unmotivated or less motivated because maybe they don't have people in their life that have those big uh, bank accounts, but they might have a lot of people who have bank accounts that are slightly smaller, but still willing to give. So I love that. Yes. And I think you bring up like a really good point too of one of the other goals that a peer-to-peer fundraising campaign can have. Like, yes, we want to raise money to help support the mission, to make an impact, but it also helps spread awareness, right? Like eyeballs are like people knowing about your organization are just as important as getting donations because that could be a future funder or future recurring, you know, monthly giver, even if it isn't, you know, at the thousand dollar level, every dollar, like you said, counts. And so it's a fun way to introduce new people to your organization as well. And that's just as important. And you know what? I attended the community boost, big innovation conference. two weeks ago at this point. And one of the stats that I took home that really just like stuck in my head was 80% of your major donors of who become major donors started out with a less than $100 donation to your organization. So maybe they only gave $10 to your peer-to-peer page, but you got that awareness in front of them. You got the branding, you got the mission. And now that you never know, it might be a major donor someday. Mm -hmm. You never know. You just never know. (laughs) Um, wow, this is so insightful. I love talking about this stuff with you. Let me see here. How do you think, so at Code Support, I know you guys run a tech platform. It's called Patriot Link. Um, so obviously technology is super important to you. Obviously I work at Memory Fox. Technology is super important to us, especially when it comes to helping out nonprofits. So how would you say technology has kind of changed the landscape when it comes to peer-to-peer fundraising specifically? And how do you adapt to those changes? I think the way that technology has impacted peer-to-peer fundraising is it's just made it, quote unquote, easier. And what I mean by that is back in the old days, like when I was in college and social media was just kind of like becoming a thing, you know, like... Were you you the days of Facebook, excuse me, I interrupted you, but were you the days of Facebook where you needed an EDU email address? When I first signed up, I was because I signed up right before I went to college and I had just gotten my UGA.edu email and I was like, (laughs) you're like, it's time for Facebook. (laughs) And it was like so old that actually this is a fun little trip down memory lane that somebody who was already a member of Facebook had to invite you. So, oh, wow. Exclusive. Um, You're an OG of the FB. I I am. So like social media to me is like, you know, it's been part of my life for like over the past 10 years. So 
But that technology has completely revolutionized the way that you can conduct peer-to-peer fundraising. Because back in the day, you would do in-person kind of things. Like you would just send email. That was like about as technical as it got. If you were really fancy, you had like an online fundraising page for whatever cause you were participating in. But it was a lot of in-person and a lot of email, which is a lot of time. Oh, yeah. And people mailing in checks and Mm -hmm. and bringing in cash. Maybe you bring in a wad of cash as your donations. Like, wow. Yes. Yeah. So those are fun times, but not the easiest of times. So technology has just made it easier to reach out to your network, whether it's via a social post, whether it's via an email, um, all those kind of different aspects, or even like a newsletter, you know, that you can forward somebody and say, here's my organization. Here's a good rundown of the work they're doing. And then you'll see they're highlighting like the peer-to-peer campaign. So it definitely makes it easier to communicate with your networks. But again, going back to reaching a wider audience, because you can just put something out on your social media platforms and you know, that kid you haven't spoken to since like the third grade, that's like your random Instagram follower. He might see that post. (laughs) Yes. And you don't know, maybe his uncle or his dad was in the military. And so he's finding out about this organization for the first time. It's a cause that's close to his heart. And now, you know, he knows about it, which is great. We always want to spread awareness. But then, you know, there is also still that potential that he might participate or he might donate, which is even better. So technology has completely just revolutionized that and made it easier. And if anyone's like, I don't know about this, I ask you to look at the ice bucket challenge and tell me like, how difficult that would have been to recreate without the use of like social media okay. and technology. Let's pause here. Jen, um, were you a participant in the ice bucket challenge and where do we find the video? I am kind of still <laughs> bitter about this. I was not because no one ever challenged me. <laughs> okay. So this is why she brings it up. Uh, somebody needs to no. tag Jen in no. an ice. <laughs> Cause like the worst thing now would just be for someone to tag me and it would be like completely irrelevant. It's, it was like, but it's like an incredible, like really no, great. No, that was like, super scene. viral. That moment mm-hmm. in time when everybody was literally dousing themselves in buckets of ice, total insanity. And I mean, I, I don't know, obviously I don't know how much they raised from that. I imagine it was millions though. I, it was I'm so pretty viral. sure it was like millions. And then even more importantly, it spread like ALS as a cause to like so many more people who had never even heard of it before. So like technology is amazing. And I think going back to your original question, just like how do we as an organization adapt to that? Um, Even though like we're a small but mighty team, we wear a lot of hats, all those kind of typical nonprofit phrases you hear. um, We always, when it comes to -to peer-to-peer, make sure that we have some kind of social media toolkit and make it as easy as possible for particularly people of varying levels of social media savviness, make it super easy for them to participate online, whether, you know, they just copy and paste the caption, there's a hashtag in there. So everything can come back to us and we can share that out to here are some fun background templates that you can like pull up in Instagram or in TikTok or whatever it is, and you can still personalize it. So making sure that there's something out there for everyone, I think is the best way that we utilize social media. And I think I heard it in your like most recent podcast about peer to peer is just like 
making sure that for anybody that uses it, like if they're, if they're just going to like copy and paste, they don't look stupid. Yeah, I did say that. Because mm-hmm. that is the worst when you see someone take your words, put it on their screen, and it says, insert your name here. And you're like, oh, no, they didn't insert. <laughs> exactly. Because, like, I think sometimes also, like, people are busy. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to, like, really spend extra time proofreading. And so the more it's a tricky, again, it's a tricky line. The more universal you can make it by still being impactful, that's that fine line that you want to walk. And I think you'll have, like, great success in utilizing social media. It is a tricky line, but yes, um, Mm -hmm. being able to give multiple options to people is just going to be a game changer. Mm -hmm. Okay. We have had a great discussion. I've learned a lot. I hope our listeners have learned a lot. I'm sure they have. I have one final question for you. This is always my favorite question. Uh, Can you tell a story of one person who has inspired you? And no, you don't have to say me. (laughs) Darn. Okay. Well, Um, so I'd have to say my mom, I think like, as you get older, you start to realize like the amazing and heroic aspects of people you're around every single day and just how like brilliant that is. And so my mom has inspired me for a long time. And I think before I even really knew, like she was a woman, um, (laughs) growing up in like the sixties, seventies and eighties and, you know, not the friendliest of time for women who wanted careers and she completely like went from like not sure what her life path was going to be. She, and I think ended up getting like a biology major, but she's like, I couldn't do anything with it to save my life. So (laughs) I mean, that's a really hard major though. Whoa. I know. But she was like, I was going to be a nurse. And then my first day of nurse school, like we tried to like, you know, give somebody a shot and she's like, I passed out. So that was, she's like, that wasn't for me. And now I had this degree and I couldn't use it. And she eventually became like got involved in banking she became like a senior vice president at like a very high level credit card company she learned spanish in her like late 30s early 40s like to do this work she became fluent in spanish that she can conduct business that's incredible and then she opened up her own business as like a consultant and like just to see that change and basically at every point in her life like have all of these obstacles and be able to meet them, I think is just so inspiring, particularly for me as a young woman. And just also kind of like reminds me that like, you're never too late. You're never too late to try something new, to master something. And so I think about her every day. And to like level up, right? Mm -hmm. Like let's, let's just keep leveling up. I love that. Yeah. And now she's living her best life in Naples, Florida, you know, consulting when, when she has the time and just chilling by the pool. I mean, who doesn't, who doesn't want to aspire to that kind of life? He's got the life. I love it. Mm -hmm. Well, Jen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Um, We have, as you all know, we've had a great discussion about peer-to-peer fundraising. We've talked about code of support specifically. Again, they help military and veteran families in crisis situations. Um, If you're interested in joining or uh, just being a small part or a large part of Archer's Challenge, uh, Jen, what What do you have to say? When does that start again? So that will be starting this May. Check back on our website, uh, codesupport.org, because we'll have like a bunch of promotion material. Um, And yeah, you can have the link to the page to sign up. I think that'll be in the show notes. notes So everybody can take a look and maybe you want to do Archer's Challenge this year. Um, And I hope everyone has found some new ways to enhance your peer-to-peer fundraising. Thank you all for tuning in. Wow, what an awesome chat. 
Jen is so fun and so creative. I hope each and every one of you has found some actionable tip to use from this pod for your next peer-to-peer campaign. I know I certainly learned a lot. If you're interested in learning more about the Code of Support Foundation, you can head to codeofsupport.org. And if you're looking for a fitness challenge to participate in this summer, uh, just give Archer's Challenge a try. I've done it a couple of years. It's really fun. And um, both those links will be in the show notes for you. But hey, thank you for listening to Storytelling with a Purpose. This has been a Memory Fox production. You can follow Memory Fox on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. You can also find me on LinkedIn. My name is Carly Euler. Or follow me on TikTok at Carly underscore MemFox. I do fun nonprofit marketing tips, but you can also meet my dog. And you can also listen to my latest takes on reality TV. Finally, we want to hear from you. Share with us your peer-to-peer success. Give us topic suggestions, ask questions, or just submit any feedback you might have by heading to storytelling.memfox.io slash pod. Again, that link will be in the show notes. We really can't wait to hear from you. Happy storytelling, everyone.